From the 809 Restaurant and Lounge in the heart of Inwood, New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air, where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims. Uh, today, our spotlight is on Broadway producer and general manager, Carl Casper. Carl uh, was the general manager for Memphis, Guys and Dolls, First Date, and The Illusionist, amongst many other Broadway shows and touring productions. Uh, currently, he's the general manager for Come From Away, uh, which won the 2017 Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Musical, Outstanding Feature Actress in Musical, and Outstanding Book of a Musical, as well as the 2017 Tony Award for Best Direction of a Musical for Christopher Ashley. Um, we're going to talk to Carl about that and so much more. But first, Carl, let me welcome you to And What It Works On Air. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Um, I'll note that we're recording this uh, 11 days before uh, the presidential inauguration, uh, regardless of when this airs, uh, which will be slightly afterwards. And uh, it's been quite a week, Carl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody was kind of uh, itching to get into uh, 2021, and it's starting off with a bang. It really is. Uh, a different kind of theatricality we didn't expect. Yeah, uh, and certainly don't really want. No, you know, not at all. So uh, anyways, hopefully things progress better as we get through the year. Yeah, I, I'm for one all in favor of that. Uh, well... Carl, most folks know what a Broadway actor does and probably what a Broadway director or perhaps uh, a producer, they think they know what a producer does, but they're probably not so clear about the job of a general manager. So what exactly does a general manager do? So I always like to equate it, if you look at, at a business and each Broadway production or a commercial theatrical production is its own business. And so that business has a structure like any business would. And the producer is the CEO, the chief executive officer. They're building the brand. They're creating the large picture business of what that show is. And what a general manager does is equivalent to what a chief operating officer would do. So we're in charge of making sure everything runs efficiently. Uh, and we have a background in dealing with personnel and accounting and sales and marketing and everything that you need to do to run the business of that show. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a key position in that if the business doesn't make money, well, then the show closes and nobody works and nobody gets to see it and there's no success to the endeavor of putting on one of these productions. So that that's where we slot in as far as functionality. And there's a level of expertise hopefully offered with that functionality being in that position because it's not a position earned from within. Uh, being uh, most of the time we'll say Broadway is a commercial enterprise. And so uh, a general manager has hopefully <laughs> can demonstrate that level of expertise and go, they can assert that skill set, right? Yeah, it's really a, a producer somewhat early in the process of developing uh, shows will come to a general manager, me or, or one of the many other general managers for uh, commercial productions, and they'll say, well, look, I've got this show and I've got the money or the access to the money to put behind it. And now 
make it into a business for me. So that's, in essence, what we do is we create businesses that are plays or musicals, and then we run those businesses. And I think that's important for audiences to hear, uh, that it is a business. It's not just um, Spanky and our gang, hey kids, let's go put on a show. And sometimes maybe it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at a very low level, yes. But right. once, once you get into actual... You know, any one of these Broadway or commercial productions is millions upon millions of dollars of capital that is gathered and put into the endeavor, just like for any other small business. And then you want to run that small business profitably, just like any other business. Um, and, you know, when you think about it in the scope of businesses, Broadway has a nice cachet to it, but it's a collection of small businesses that are the Broadway brand even you know and the broadway brand expands to touring productions and international productions and all of that too but um it's a collection of small businesses that create plays and musicals and how does uh, a broadway musical or play for that matter get capitalized can you talk a little bit about that uh there's you know lots of different ways just as there are for uh various businesses i mean if you've got a big institutional producer like Disney, well, they just pay for it. But most Broadway shows are collections of smaller investors that the producer has to reach out to and gather money from, you know, anywhere from $25,000 to $250,000 to a million dollars from individuals or, you know, theatrical institutions like, you know, the Schubert Organization or Nederlander or Broadway Across America. They all invest in shows, too, and they're larger, um, larger uh, players within the field that, that do this on a regular basis. But then there's tons of uh, smaller investors who are also interested in being part of the process. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting how... Um the word producer has been, I uh, said, so there's, there's a great elasticity to the definition of that word these days. Um, and that it's galvanizing and raising money uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, at the same time as, um, like you said, they, the producer or plural, they are the, they, they call the shots, so to speak. Um, but I think it's important to distinguish too, is that credits can be given, uh, to investors as producers, co-producers, there's different levels that can be attributed to people in order to make the show happen. Yeah, usually there's one or a small group of lead producers who will operate the day-to-day -day operations and and be in charge of the business. Um, you know, and those those people are the ones who hire me. And then there's other people who are instrumental in making it happen. Like if you've got a Broadway musical that you're producing for $10 million and somebody comes along and says, I believe in this and I'm going to give you a million dollars towards that endeavor, they're a big part of making it happen and it's success. So to give those people a, a producer credit or a co-producer credit is warranted because they're key to making the whole thing come off. And I think it's what you lead right me perfectly to saying is that it's all about getting to opening night, right? It, it is. Uh, and the way you approach the, the budgeting of a musical is the capitalization is the money that it takes for you to get into actual operations. And operations is when paid audiences come, buy tickets, and you have revenue. 
from that point on, you have your weekly, or you could look at it quarterly or yearly, operating expenses versus that revenue, which is your prime source of revenue. There's small ancillary amounts, but primarily it's ticket sales. So you have to look at it in two tranches. Here's what it takes to get to that opening performance. And then the, the more important question is, how much does it cost to run it every week? And how much money do I have to bring in through ticket sales so that I'm not losing money? Exactly. Well, given the extraordinary amount of planning, replanning at times, and general problem solving that general managers do, uh, it must be uh, nearly magical to see some shows come together on opening night. Do you have any particular recollections? Well, yeah, there's, you know, every show, uh, to me, I've always said, like, the proudest moment that I have as a general manager is when we get to that opening night, and a lot of times I won't even sit because I'm back in the back of the theater pacing and, you know, wondering what the reviews are going to be. But I'm in the back of the theater and the show opens and the audience applauds. And I sit there and say, I planned this to come off like this and it came off like this, which is a very satisfying moment to plan on a macro level the movements of all of these people and all of these elements and the audiences and the venues and the marketing all to come together to culminate in that moment. And, you know, I can't make people buy tickets, but I can make sure that it comes off according to a plan. And so, you know, it's very satisfying because you're painting on a big, big canvas as opposed to doing, you know, specific, you know, very important uh, material or artistic items that all are involved in the show, everything that happens, I'm involved with in some way, because it all has financial and logistical ramifications that play throughout the, the entire business. So that it, it's a satisfying moment. Absolutely. Um, there also must have been some occasions when things didn't quite come together. And w whether on opening night, first preview, or perhaps in tech before, the, uh, and any, po any point actually in the development process. Oh, sure. I, I worked for a while on uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And uh, if there is a poster child for how things, you know, devolve and then re-evolve and then change and then, you know, that went through so many iterations and such a hard birthing uh, process. Uh, and, and again, that's kind of the poster child of, of that happening. I think they previewed for six months or something before they officially opened the show or reopened the show. Longer than some plays run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly there's lots of examples of shows pushing back their openings or having longer development periods, like uh, a show I worked on called Memphis, uh, won the Tony back in 2009, it was eight years of development for that show where the rights were held by one producer who ended up dying and then it went through several regional productions very early on and then got redeveloped. And, you know, it, the, the time that it takes from that first, oh, this, this is a play that has something to it and it seems relevant and producible and will have appeal to the public to getting to the stage, 
for a musical, that gestation period, if everything goes amazingly well, maybe you can do that in two to three years. But more likely, it's four, five, six years to get to the point of being produced. I think that's really important for people to hear because it's maybe cliche, but it couldn't be more true. It is a process. Uh, it, it, it's not something you buy in the store and it comes you know, packed and you clip the pieces together and then you have your product. Um, it's something that evolves and many times for the better and happy accidents do happen in many ways uh, and you find things uh, and Memphis did extremely well. Did it not win the Tony? It did, yeah. And uh, it, it's like any product, you don't want to bring it to market until it's ready to be in the marketplace. And for theatrical productions, that's putting it together, putting it in front of audiences, either through workshops or regional productions or, you know, out-of-town tryouts and getting feedback on what audiences are actually reacting to. Because we can all read a play or listen to the music of a musical and think, that's great, but it might just be great to me. So you have to test and retest and figure out the the evolution of the show to become its best form, um, just like you would with any other product. And you hate to say product around something that's an artistic endeavor, but in the end, that's that's what it becomes is it's something that the public consumes. And it's important for people to know that because you're actually, unless it's a revival, but even in that case, you are offering a new product to the market. It's, if you're a P&G or Eli Lilly, it'd be no different. Right. You're, you're, you're marketing a brand new product for consumption to be sold. Yeah, but even on a revival, a revival is not going to be successful unless there's a reason to revive that show. Be it a great star that's a perfect fit to, to go into a, a particular role for that show, or that the, the timeliness of that message or that show rings true for the moment it's in. Because if there's not a reason for it, like there's a larger macro idea that you need to have for any show is why this show now? When there's thousands of other shows that could be done, new shows, old shows, reimagined shows, why does this one rise to the top and somebody's going to pay 115 bucks for a ticket for this show versus somebody else's. Well, before you became um, involved in the business side of show business, you were an actor, is that right? I was a long time ago. So what was, um, say you can give us the Cliff Notes version if you like, but we have all the time in the world uh, if, you want to, <laughs> if you want to spend on it. Uh, so what was your path from the stage uh, to the general management office? Uh, yeah, I had been working as a, an actor in, you know, regional theaters and summer stocks and doing some tours, and I had done a few tours as an actor for this one uh, producer, a guy named Jeff Moss, and um, Jeff was putting out another tour, and I'd been playing principal roles for him, and he said, well, there's nothing really for you in this show, but there's, uh, you know, you've been around my businesses for a long time. You've seen how my shows run. Uh, I think you're a pretty savvy guy. I actually think you'd make a good manager. And I said to him, ah, I don't think I want to do that. And he said, well, I'll pay you twice what you were getting as an actor. 
And I said, well, I'll give it a try. Yeah. And uh, from that point on, it seemed like uh, more people wanted my management skills than my acting skills. So it was a pretty easy transition over to that side. And uh, I trained as an actor. I had never trained as a businessman. So it was even though I knew my way around the process of putting a show together, it was then starting to learn those business aspects that all go into feeding to make it into a successful business. So that was kind of uh, the, the trigger that started me down a completely different path that I would never have dreamed of being on. And do you remember you go back into where you were at that time or maybe just slightly afterwards when you kind of said, oh, well, I like this. Um, were there particular skill sets you felt um, intimidated by that you felt you had to acquire to keep on pursuing uh, working backstage, so to speak, in the offices and pursuing a career um, as, a, as an administration in the theater? Yeah, it's, it's funny because it's an ongoing process. As the world evolves, business evolves generally, including the theater business, as far as how you reach audiences, how you sell a ticket, what the compliance issues are, how do you adequately ensure productions, um, what are the the more kind of facile ways you can do things with, like, uh, when I first started in the business uh, of, of managing shows, you know, fax machines were pretty cool. Um, and now, like with the the power of of computing and how you can source things all together and share information and be much more streamlined about the efficiencies of your business, it holds true in theater like it does for every other business. So it's a constant learning process of how you you create this to the best degree that you can, even though one of the delightful things about theater, is that it's a handcrafted thing in an automated age. Um, and the automation portion of it helps to make things more efficient. But in the end, you're still dealing with people and their creativity and a very hands-on, collaborative uh, creation that you're working on. So that's, that's one of the joys of theater is that even for all of the efficiencies you can start to lend to it, it's still that particular product. Well, it's a, it sounds very much about you have to be willing to ask questions, right? And, and, and keep and keep having that curiosity and, and problem solving and, and finding our ways to opening night yeah. uh, through through all that. And I, and I, I reflect on my own career too, the same way. It's like, because that was very much, um, it's interesting because, I think going back to the initial question is that I feel a lot of people start off in a creative role in theater. That's their, that brings them in, whether it's directing or designing or acting, whatever it is, like in high school or drama, drama class or speech and debate or whatever it is, or community theater, and they get the bug and perhaps move on and try and, and they find, but they want to stay with it. And obviously we all evolve as people too. So I think it's very interesting to, um, how people's paths uh, can bring them into and help you evolve in your craft, whatever it was. And like I said, being an actor has served you to have that curiosity. You, you know how to talk to actors. Right. You know what they go through. And I think there's, that's a great um, 
uh, kind of uh, introspection you can have and uh, and as you plan out um, the 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 whole path for a show and knowing what well geez you can't rehearse the past seven and a half hours that day right because you because you, you did ten day ten hours the day before or whatever yeah and and it's it's funny each show is individual in a, a lot of ways and its own ways and yet every show is the same in many ways too like you start out and you have readings and workshops and then you have to go on sale at a certain point and you have to cast by a certain point and you need x amount of rehearsals and you need to go through the bidding and design process uh, you know x number of weeks before you build the the scenery or put together the lighting packages so there's similarities that you learn are distinct to this industry and and will recur on on every show and then the the more creative part of that is to look at the specifics that are needed for that show uh, just even through reading the script like when i first get a script for a show i go through and take pretty meticulous notes on here's issues that are specific to that show that need to be thought about in how it will evolve and and then my job is to think through those issues and start putting that into logistics, the budgets around that, how long it'll take to develop those particular processes. If it's a show that is doing something new or trying to do something that hasn't been done before, which is, again, part of the, the thrilling thing in theater is that it's always trying to do more and incorporate more and think about uh, how how it can present itself in new ways. Well, I think we're all asking those questions right now in 2021. Like yeah. how, how can we present what we have in new ways? Uh, because uh, I think everyone, um, I think everyone in America and the world who enjoy theater in general is asking, you know, what is the future of theater? And particularly for us here in New York City, uh, Broadway, since it is such, it's more than just jobs. It's part of the fabric of our New York City community, yeah. um, our Inwood community. We have countless uh, technicians and artists uh, on stage and backstage uh, who have lived up here for years, who commute downtown and come back nightly uh, to make things happen. So, uh, you know. It's gonna. It's it's. There's no crystal ball to look into, obviously, because things do change daily because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, but uh, it's safe to say New York City has been incredibly strict in its regulations for for better and for worse. I think for a lot of people, um, and I also feel that uh, we have to involve unions in many ways, and they're going to have their own restrictions, uh, health wise, and. Um, what do you see moving forward as us as a community uh, bringing theater back? It's, uh, I see it as a longer road. Um, like it's not going to happen overnight and it shouldn't happen overnight just because the restrictions are lifted and we can gather again. There's a macro problem of who's buying the tickets and how much audience there will be 
you know, that pot of people that are buying tickets, how's that going to get split? Because there's not going to be that many when we first turn the key to get the car going again. Um, so it's going to be very slow. A few shows have to open, I think, in a kind of domino fashion, like one opens, then a, another couple, then another, a few others over the course of months to rebuild people's sense of safety of doing this mm -hmm. and also for tourists to come back and for workers to come back and start repopulating New York and for small businesses to open up again to make New York attractive. All of the, you know, little shops and restaurants and little experiences that make New York the vibrant place that it is, all of that has to come back as the tourism comes back, as, as the people and the commuters and all the, you know, wonderful vibrancy of this city, it's, it's just going to take a while. Like it's not going to, we're not going to say, oh, it's going to happen in September of 2021. It's going to happen in September of 2021 through next summer, 2022, to, to really build that momentum again. And I, so I think it needs to be thought of as, you know, let's work together to think about the long-term process of doing this as opposed to everybody jumping all at once. Because I think if we all do that, a lot of people are going to sink. And I think that's really important to, to talk about because as you mentioned earlier, these entities are individual companies run by many different producers. So it's going to take some collaboration that has not really happened before in a lot of ways amongst the, some perhaps theater community commercially. So it's going to take a little more mindfulness of working together, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the hidden conflicts within commercial theater is that we're all a community, but we're a community of competitors in the end. Every, like I want for my shows, all of the ticket buyers that are going to your show, right? I'd rather have them buy tickets for my show. And, so while we're all congenial with each other and all work together for the, the better good of, of Broadway and theater as a brand, we're still competitive. And even the not-for-profits and the small theaters, again, we're all going after the same pool of people that come and, and see and support these activities. So in that competition, we just need to be smart and not like don't destroy the overall picture because we're all eager to get going and everyone will eventually benefit from it yeah and and you know again like this recent legislation that's come out with the save our stages act and you know which which we're all still trying to digest what that all means and and what's going to be available financially to help support this regrowth we're all very thankful that it, it's part of the fabric of the relief that's coming out and everybody will utilize that and that'll be very helpful. Um, but it's still, it's not enough to just like turn the light on again uh, for the entire industry. It's all going to be a process. Yeah. Well, it's, it is going to be a process as we said before. And also um, I think it's important to tell people to have some patience uh, because we have a lot of people who are looking for their first jobs, uh, a lot of people who are looking to return to their jobs, 
um, and perhaps seeking new jobs because some shows have closed. Other shows were waiting to open. Um, it's worth mentioning that there was a queue, a line for a Broadway theater uh, Absolutely. before the pandemic struck. Many people uh, would say that the past few years, pretty much since Book of Mormon kind of was around, there was a real golden age of 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 activity uh, uh, e even before yeah. starting in the late 90s i yeah. always describe broadway as like the busiest airport in the country it's got so many planes waiting to land and so few runways that's <laughs> exactly right so it's it's a shame in many ways that there's there's so many great products we'll say uh that are waiting in the wings to be purchased and experienced um, and uh, they're all going to have to wait their turn and perhaps find different ways. Perhaps, do you think the touring model will come back before stationary? Uh, we'll call, we'll, call, we'll, call, we'll call, you know. I no. do, actually. I, I think touring will, because it's supported in each locality by those ticket buyers and generally by, at, at least for commercial uh, touring theatricals, by a subscription base that buys their tickets in advance and buys a season of shows. So there's a built-in uh, gravity, center of gravity for those shows financially to go back out before I know that uh, Broadway will have caught up and New York City generally will have caught up mm -hmm. to that. So I do think touring will probably have a, a little bit more... Uh, I don't know, alacrity to it, it's, it's revival. I'm glad you said that because uh, for those who are not aware, Broadway heavily, heavily <laughs> depends on tourism. Absolutely. Depending on the time of the year, tourism is anywhere between 60 to 80% of your revenue. So without heavy tourism to support the shows financially with ticket buyers, it, it's hard to imagine sustaining it, even though there's a, a hunger generally for live experiences, even in the tri-state area, they're just, you need more ticket buyers than that. Well, we're still a little bit away from that, and it'll be interesting to see how things do evolve. And uh, again, with patience and collaboration, I do believe we will get there, like you said. Uh, in the meantime, what advice or guidance would you offer uh, someone interested in becoming a Broadway general manager? Um, I would think uh, that the smartest thing to do is get experience, like a breadth of experience within the form of theater. Like open a lot of doors, try being an actor, try being a director, try being a stagehand, try working in a box office, try marketing and advertising learn about those aspects and and live them a little bit and get to know the people that do those processes, pick their brains, get some business experience because it's a business and all businesses run uh, by certain standards and ideas. So learn how businesses run. Learn those things and then utilize them all together to inform how you would run this type of business. Um, uh, those, and marketing, like learning how to market and what the ideas around marketing are is invaluable. Well, folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> because there's time to plan your shows. 
But I, I, it's, it's great advice. Going back to what you said earlier, you know, get involved, learn, don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, I think those are those are major things and uh, baby steps, right? Yeah, and you know, if you look at the progression of of people within artistic industries, um, generally people go from being a an actor or a director or a stagehand, and then they move on to being producers, um, which means the evolution is you're learning from the inside, and then you want to control the larger product and idea of that um, and have more control over your destiny. So learning about the business, no matter if you're within it as, as an artist or as a artisan or a technician or learning how that all works, if you have higher ambitions to create your own thing, it's invaluable. Well, Carl, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on artist spotlight of in what artworks on air is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners uh no just uh as soon as things get started again uh i hope everybody you know uh, again we're all going to collaborate and get out and support uh theater and the arts in general and and support new york city i couldn't agree more well this has been In What Artworks On Air Artist Spotlight, where we get to know the musicians, filmmakers, writers, and theater makers and artists who live here in Upper Manhattan. Uh, if you have a moment, uh, please show us some love right now and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Uh, tremendous thanks as well to 809 Restaurant and Lounge here in Inwood for hosting us and to HeightSites.com for local uptown promotional support. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmwork Self Fresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and yes, eventually theater when we can. Um, so you can support on air and all our programming by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate. Inwood Artworks On Air is made possible with funding from NYC and Company Foundation support from Manhattan Borough President Gil Brewer and the NISCA Electronic Media and Film Grant Program in partnership with Wave Farm Media Arts Assistance Fund and also the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature. Thank you again for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air. <laughs>